Are you fading it out right now? <laughs> How's everyone doing tonight? Doing well. Excited to see you all. Thank you for braving the wet. Is it still snowing out? Cool. That's not that bad for people that know how to drive. Can I get an amen, somebody? All you, all you Texas and California people need to be careful. <laughs> you need to be careful. It's not that bad. Just go slow. Uh, my name is Aaron. Um, are we all family here? Is everyone? Is anyone new here? I'll, I'll introduce myself anyways. That's arrogant to not. Hello, my name is Aaron. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, I've been here for 10 years. Um, I, I tell my story every time just because I like telling my story. I just believe it's powerful. I came here when I was 15, hating church, um, not wanting to be a part of church. I always grew up in churches where you knew everyone's name. And, like, if you told one person the rumor, the entire church knew because the church was, like, 35 people on a great day. Those are the kind of churches I grew up in. And so The Rock was, like, always that really big church that all of my really cool friends went to. And I came here to hide. There was just a lot of people. And I was like, oh, I can, I can just hide here. Um, and the guitar Garcias are here. Leah's here. At the time, her husband was the youth worship pastor. And I had come here to hide. And he found me. And by week two, I was at this church. I was on stage playing for him. And... Long story short, I'm the worship pastor now. So my mission to hide was unsuccessful. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, I think. I think. But yes, this is a great church. You are in a great church where we believe in, in the power of God. And, and the one thing I want to encourage you guys in tonight is to reclaim your wonder. I just felt in worship as Jen was singing, like there is just this sense where a lot of you have allowed yourself to lose wonder of what God's going to do in this place. That the church was never um, here just to come to and sing some songs and to hear a, a, a word that made you feel better, but it was a place to come closer to wonder. I heard the story this morning of when they were having trouble in Ireland. The IRA would, uh, would plant bombs in the grocery store. And then they would call the police and they would say, hey, you have five minutes to get everyone out. And there's a story about uh, an IRA guy that, that died and he, he was standing at the pearly gates and Gabriel comes out with a book, this big book, and says, hey, man, you can't get in. You're a part of the IRA. You've just done horrible things. And the IRA member says to him, he says, no, like, you need to get out. And it's this idea that the, the church's job is not to get everyone in. It's to get heaven out, to get it back down to the world. That I think the biggest thing that the, the biggest weapon that the enemy has had against the church is the idea that we can lose our wonder, that God all of a sudden becomes practical. Amen. So tonight I want to talk about um, dividing lines. That was a freebie, by the way. Tonight I want to talk about dividing lines. And um, right now we're just in a, in a strange time in the world. Yes, we all have the news and Facebook, unfortunately. We're just in a really weird time. And so I just want to talk about dividing lines. Um, I, uh, I was getting some ideas from people this morning when I was uh, just kind of preparing this message about 
um, some, some different issues of dividing lines, like one being uh, Mac versus PC. Do we have any Mac people in the house? You are God's chosen ones, PC people. PC people, we are praying for you. Uh, Chipotle versus Qdoba. Who are my Chipotle people? Okay. Qdoba people. Who's neither? <laughs> uh, Coke and Pepsi, don't drink either. They're both really bad for you. Um, what are some other dividing lines? I wrote some down. Um, someone said Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, and I didn't know that that was a thing. Is that a thing? Does anyone drink coffee at Dunkin' Donuts? Okay, God bless you all. Uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek. Any Star Wars people in the house? Star Trek people. Okay. You just kept your hand up? <laughs> Not a dividing line for him. Cool. Well, my challenge to you today is that we would be people. There's a lot, obviously, more serious dividing lines that are happening in the world right now. Um, science versus religion is one that I've been really interested in lately, or um, it just seems like in a lot of ways we've, like, regressed 30 years in the race for not just bringing that up because I'm black. It's just a weird thing, right? Where, like, something happens in the news and you're like, wait, we're still talking about that? That's weird. Like, there's, there's a lot of dividing lines happening right now. And so I just believe the church has a voice to talk about those things that is probably on neither side. That usually when there is a dividing line drawn, that Jesus was always the one to take it down. Amen? That it was neither an either or. It was a kingdom thing that no side was willing to see. Amen? Um, in, in the gospel of Jesus, the, the reason why I've fallen in love with it so much is that Jesus was pretty offensive. He was pretty offensive. I, I had a pastor tell me when I was young once that if, if Jesus wasn't offending you, when you read the gospel, if Jesus wasn't offending you, then you're probably not reading the story right. That there is a long history when Jesus came of these are the people that are in, these are the people that are out. This is the way we do things. This is the way we don't do things. And what Jesus would do is he would tell stories and draw people into this, into this thing where it was kind of like a, oh, both of us were wrong, right? His whole message when he got here was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The other word for repent is change your mind, which is to say, that most people had made up their mind on something that was wrong. That's offensive for someone to tell you to repent if you believe that you have the right answer. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or when Jesus says to love your neighbor, someone says, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing I can do? And of course he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And what does he say? Love your neighbors yourself. And someone really snarky says, all right, well, who's my neighbor? And what does he do? He tells a story of the person that's out, the person that you disagree with on every level, the person that doesn't look like you, the person that has a different belief than you, the person that voted differently than you did. And not only does he say to love them, he says to love them abundantly, Right? Love them abundantly. Pick up the tab for everything they need. And then don't try to convert them to your way of thinking. 
That's, that's the story, right? Love them abundantly. Pick up the tab for everything they need. And then don't try to convert them to your way of thinking. The person that is your enemy. So tonight, if you have your Bibles and want us to open up together to Luke 19. Mike, hold up your Bible. This is what a Bible looks like, folks. <laughs> Mike's my hero. That thing's torn up. How long have you had that? 30 years you've had that Bible. I will be probably replacing this iPhone in two years. <laughs> Everyone at Luke 19? So tonight I just want to take the opportunity to just go a little bit deeper into scripture. I love scripture. Over the last two years I've just kind of uh, been on this journey where I've just fallen in love with scripture again. Um, I, I've been raised in churches that had really high values. I've been raised in churches that had really low values for scripture. And um, something that I've discovered in the last few years with scripture is the problem is, is that these days um, atheists and Christians read the scripture the same. We read it with a very modern lens that robs it of its power, that robs it of what was actually being communicated, what was actually being spoken at the time. So I love um, to be able to tear apart a story and to kind of talk about what's really going on in the scripture rather than what's just happening at surface value. Cool? So Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Does anyone remember that Bible school song? Zacchaeus was a really nice guy. Nope. Okay, tough crowd. Sweet. <laughs> JR remembers it. <laughs> All right, Zacchaeus, Luke 19. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, and I just want to put that into perspective for you. You do not become a chief tax collector overnight. The likelihood is that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a Jewish boy living in Roman-occupied territory. And the likelihood is that he was picked up as a teenager and the Romans were indoctrinating teenagers to say, hey, we as Romans are going to come in and we're going to collect a tax. If you will betray your country and collect the tax, you can charge a little extra for yourself. So Zacchaeus, as a young Jewish boy, says, okay, that sounds pretty good. And what's happened is Zacchaeus is collecting tax and he would be in charge of a region. He runs the town by cheating people, by stealing your grandmother's pension. And in modern terms, what happens is Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, what happens is he rises in power, becomes the chief tax collector. He's making loads of money. What would happen in our modern era is he would have built a mansion on top of Castle Rock. And so when all of us come out of our houses every morning to go to work, we see the mansion of somebody that has completely betrayed our way of life, our way of thinking, and everything that we hold dear. And not only has he done that, but he's done it on the backs of us and our families. Yes, amen. <laughs> not only has he done that, he's done it on the backs of our families and friends, the people that we love and hold dear. This guy has gotten rich and planted his house on top of Castle Rock. 
Are we all seeing that in our mind's eye? That's offensive. And so Zacchaeus hears um, that Jesus, this rabbi, at the time this possible potential leading candidate of the party is coming to town. He's coming his way. Zacchaeus has obviously been hearing stories about miracles, of all these things that are surrounding Jesus. It's a compelling story. And so Zacchaeus is also banned from coming to church because of what he's done. He's not allowed in the synagogue. He's not allowed to be around his family. He's not allowed to be around his friends. He's a dog. It says that the, that the Pharisees, the church people at the time, would say that he's a sinner. Calling someone a sinner was equating them to a level of a dog. So Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So Zacchaeus is there. He's hearing all this stuff. He's seeing the, the, the smoke cloud come from miles away. He says, I want to see this. I got to see this. He climbs up a tree, and I don't think Zacchaeus was doing it knowing what was going to happen. He had no idea. If someone said, hey, Zacchaeus, you need to get your soul saved by this Jesus guy, he would have said, what, what are you talking about? From my money? Save me from my money from my big house on top of Castle Rock? Save me from what? I just want to see what all the fuss is about. There's been some research in science that says that the most beautiful thing that someone can hear is someone else saying their name to them. And Jesus comes to the tree that Zacchaeus has climbed up in, and he says, Zacchaeus, how sweet would it have been to hear Jesus say your name, to call you by name after you've been cast out, after on a daily basis, you have to come into contact and be reminded of how you betrayed your people, of how you've gone against everything you were raised to know, to hear Jesus say your name. There's a crowd following Jesus. There's a crowd, a massive crowd. It's like a Justin Bieber concert's happening. He is surrounded. He's surrounded by a crowd. And Jesus comes to the spot where Zacchaeus is and says, Zacchaeus. And I just see the crowds automatically being like, whoa, he knows him. He knows Zacchaeus. Why is he talking to Zacchaeus? Why does he even know his name? It's a 
Point number one is Jesus had no shame in showing that he knew Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus. He had no shame. He wasn't trying to be shady about it. He wasn't trying to hide it. This was, this was a man that no one wanted to be affiliated with. And Jesus had no shame in walking straight up to him and saying, Zacchaeus, I know, I know you. Also interesting in the scripture when I was reading it today that hopped out at me. In the, in the scripture it says, uh, when Jesus reached the spot. When Jesus reached the spot. That's where Jesus was planning to go the entire time. That's where Jesus was planning to go the entire time. When Jesus reached the spot. And why that's significant is, is I believe a lot of times we think that if we run fast enough, and climb the highest tree, that then Jesus will see us and accidentally know us and call us to hang out with him. If we get to the right spot fast enough in the best way, then we deserve the attention of Jesus. Then I'll come to church because I've had my behavior all lined up. Then I'll treat my neighbor with dignity because I'm I'm ready to. I've gotten myself all fixed up. Now I can pray because God will hear me because I listened to the right Hillsong song. The only thing that draws Jesus to you is his mercy and grace, nothing that you have done. The only thing that draws Jesus to you is his mercy and grace, nothing you have done. When Jesus reached the spot, he was already coming there. That was his aim. That was his goal. He was already headed there. And religion says that when you've done enough, Jesus will see you. But he saw you from a long way off. There's a really powerful uh, Amanda Cook song that says, In a crowd of 10,000, you don't miss a thing. Jesus is surrounded. And what Jesus says is, he says, hurry, come down. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Come down from your idea of who I am, Zacchaeus. Come down from your intellect, Zacchaeus. Come down from your emotional turmoil, Zacchaeus. Come down. What you feel like is putting you above everyone else and giving you an advantage point, come down from it. I don't need that. And what he says is, I'm coming over to your house today. Come down from everything that you think makes me see you. I'm going to come to your most intimate place. He says, I must have dinner at your house tonight. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Hot Pockets weren't a thing then. Ramen noodles were not a thing then. 
When you agree to have dinner with somebody in that day and age, what you were saying is, I'm committing to spend the day with you. We got to go kill an animal, clean it, and cook it, and sit there and watch it for hours. I'm spending all day with you. Come down from what you think makes me see you. I'm going to spend all day with you. I'm going to come to your most intimate place, and I'm going to spend the day with you. We tracking? Who was it? David Crabtree spoke last week. I don't have an accent, so it doesn't sound half as cool when I say it like that. I had some help, and we wrote some other versions of maybe what would happen in modern times. So Jesus sees a kiss of a tree. In version one, he says, hurry, come down. Jesus sees a kiss on the tree, has him come down, hands him a Hillsong United CD, invites him to a 24-hour meeting, and glorifies God by cleaning Zacchaeus up. Version two, Jesus and the crowd come to Zacchaeus in the tree with picket signs and protested Zacchaeus' political position. Version three, Jesus and the crowd don't come to the tree at all and rather start a blog on how horrible Zacchaeus is. What's wrong with these stories? What's wrong with these stories is they're not the gospel, but it's what we do all the time. We as the church feel like it's our duty to clean people up before we show that we know them. We as the church, Christine Kane talks about how we lower our drawbridge, we come out of our castle, and we do evangelism, and we come back in, and then we put the drawbridge back up. Or we get really brave behind our computer screens talking about our faith, but when it actually matters to show our faith, we let the opportunity slide by. church has this idea that we are doing God and everyone else a favor by cleaning them up and handing them a rule book. And the problem is, is that we are taking an endlessly creative God, an endlessly creative God, and we're putting them in our subculture and creating clones instead of allowing them to be what the Lord has for them. And maybe you're one of those people where you walk into this place and it's nothing but condemnation for what you think you should be. What people expect you to be. But not what God has uniquely designed you to be.
most times in church, we're satisfied talking about the things that we all agree on and coming to church and nodding our heads, but we don't leave here changed. Not at least in the way that God designed us to be. not a father, thank God, praise God, not right now, Jen, you're good, cool, no babies, but I do have a little sister, she's 10 years younger than me, and I remember when we started feeding her real food, like I was just so enamored with her, so like I, I just, I remember watching just the different stages of her life, I loved watching her grow up. And I remember when we started feeding her real food, you know how you like say double words to emphasize when something's wrong and they, they get it like, oh, no, no. And you're like, no, no. So anytime something happens, like, oh, no, 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 no. And they sit there and repeat it. We would feed her real food and she hated it. She hated real food. So if you tried to feed my sister real food, she'd go, bad, 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 bad. She would just flip. And she would just do that for minutes. Bat, bat! The problem with that is that a baby doesn't know that they need something from this, that there's nutrients involved with the food for them to grow and to function properly. And why that relates to anything I'm talking about is if we as the church call bad what God has called good. We will never see the fruit that we were intended to. We will never see the fruit that we were intended to if we insist on calling bad what God has called good. Zacchaeus was bad. That wasn't Jesus saying that. That was the church people saying that. Did you guys catch that in the story? That where the church had created a dividing line, Jesus said, no, come down from there. And if you insist on keeping this dividing line, I am going to cross it. I'm a firm believer, as negative as this talk may seem, are you guys okay? Okay. My email is aaronattherock.org. I rarely check it. You're welcome to complain later. believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. That Jesus has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for every person that walks on this earth. 
and that any significant move of God will not happen apart from the church. It's just the truth. This is his chosen tool, not this building, you. Not something that has a logo and the sweatshirts and the right programs, you. The plans and the purposes that God has set out for this world will not happen apart from you, the church. But we have to learn how to see how he sees, amen? Luke 19, 7, if you're still following. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. One of the hugest pitfalls of the church right now, and one of the dangers that we fall into is that a lot of times God starts to sound like us instead of us sound like God. God starts to like the people that only we like. God starts to only listen to the music that we listen to. And I'm pretty positive that God also wears skinny jeans. One of the greatest dangers. The gospel is offensive, everyone. It is downright scandalous what the gospel does. Some of you in this place, you might tonight identify with Zacchaeus. You've run from everything you've known. You've betrayed people. You've hurt people. And you come into a place like this with nothing but heavy burdens on your shoulders. It's reminded of the ways that you don't measure up. Maybe you feel like there's a calling and a destiny on your life that you've lost. It's gone. Maybe because of how you acted at one point in your life. Maybe some of you are, are the church people. Hello. I'm horrible at judging people. Can, you, can I be honest with you? Horrible at judging people. Deciding if they're worth my time. Deciding if they're good enough for this. Deciding if they're good enough for that. Without realizing that the gospel should never draw me to push someone away, but to draw them in, to come to the house.
is making sense. I may or may not be right, but you should go read your Bible. It's a win either way. We have a few advantages. If you go to this church, if you're part of this church, I want to give you good news. You're a part of a great church. A really great church. Your pastors love people more than most pastors I've ever seen. And their desire to serve the unseen and the unwanted is, is more than any pastors I've ever served with in my life. That's great news. But when our tactics to get them inside of our walls don't work, your response should be, okay, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Oh, you don't want to come to our Christmas Eve service? Cool, when are we going to celebrate together? We'll talk about being there on Christmas Day. the weeks that you don't see me up here, um, I'm usually out traveling with the band and we're, we're playing and I remember we were doing this one event, we were partnered with the church um, and we're a rock band and we're really loud and unlike Sunday mornings we get to be as loud as we want and we don't hand out ear plugs and it's really funny. Um, but we partnered with this church to do this, you know, uh, this moment marked and changed my life forever because this church wanted to do this evangelical event where this cool rock band's going to come play. We have games, prizes, you know, the, the thing, the thing. And so we got to go into the schools and we get to hang out with these kids and, you know, not really mention Jesus. We just get to be the cool guys in skinny jeans in small town Nebraska that influences kids. Hey, come here. We're going to play a rock show and then we're going to... Um, you know, have the speaker subversively coax you into giving your life to Christ. It's going to be great. So I'm hanging out in this high school, and I'm trying to get kids to come, and a lot of kids did come, and a lot of kids made a commitment to Jesus that day. It was never time wasted. But I'm in this high school, and I'm, and I'm you know, inviting kids. Hey, are you coming to the show tonight? Hey, are you coming to the show tonight? Hey, are you coming to the show tonight? This one kid says, nah. I was just like, why not, man? And I'm kind of like joking around with him, like, hey, that's lame. And he just said, I know the tricks. I know the tricks. He said, you guys are a bunch of Christian dudes, and you're going to play, and then that guy's going to try and get me to Jesus. I know the tricks. I don't believe. And he walked off. most brilliant evangelical idea fell by the wayside today. But the genius of heaven is that it never needed programs to draw people in. It needed relationship to draw people in. And I will never doubt the, the, the power and the validity of some of those things. They've done great things for me. I've gone to the conferences. I've gone to 
do those things. And they've, they've been powerful. You have too. They've been powerful. Some of those conferences, some of those programs, some of those Bible studies, some of those book studies are the reason I'm here today. Not, I, I'm not saying those things are bad. But what happens when the rest of the world knows our tricks? And we think we're being clever still after all this time. They don't want to come to your event. So you should just go to their house. What I love about this story They didn't microwave anything. They had to sit there and wait all day. They had to cook this meal together. And you know what the scripture never says about this moment? It never says that Jesus went off and just started preaching at Zacchaeus about who he was. What he should do. How he should quit his job and maybe do something a little bit more honorable. How he should, how he should change himself. How he should get cleaned up. He didn't try to pass Zacchaeus the latest, you know, Bill Johnson book. I'll just read this, it'll fix everything. I'll just listen to this, it'll fix everything. What Jesus does is he, uh, he just hangs out with him. That's it. And at the end of the dinner, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, you are God. That's an easily impressed dude. Like, <laughs> just hanging, eating a meal. Zacchaeus stands up. Just imagine it. All these people are around, having a great time. The church people are outside of Zacchaeus' house, looking on top of Cast Rock, being like, Jesus is up there. He's supposed to be down here with us, talking about how he's going to win back from Rome. How he's going to support our political agenda. And he's up there with Zacchaeus. The guy that stole my money. The guy that I sat next to in school. And he betrayed everything that we were taught. He betrayed everything that we knew. Jesus is up there. What do you think Jesus' demeanor was like at that kind of time when he's at Zacchaeus' house? Just imagine him just sitting around the table with people just laughing. Having a great time. Zacchaeus stands up and he says, you're God. And he says, everything I've stolen, I'm going to give that back. I'm going to give it back and I'm going to give even more. I think it says, uh, what did it say? I'm going to mess up if I misquote it. He says, I'm going to give everything that I've stolen back, and I'm going to give four times the amount. Everything that I've stolen, I'm going to give back, and I'm going to give even more. 
When people come into an encounter with an abundant God, they do abundant things. When people come into an encounter with an abundant God, they do abundant things. Jesus didn't even say he had to give anything back. Did you catch that? He stands up and says, your God, I'm going to give everything I've stolen times four. Which I was reading a, a commentary on this, and that meant that Zacchaeus was going to spend, he wouldn't have been able to pay back all of the money in his lifetime which means he's going to spend the rest of his life giving everything away. He put himself in a position of abundance because he came into an encounter with abundant love. Are we leading people to programs, which are good, to books, which are good, kind of music we listen to, safe, encouraging for the whole family? Or are we leading them into an encounter with a God that says, I love you, I know your name, and I'm coming to your house? band wants to come up. We have to change our strategy. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't know what that is. the way that I live cannot point to a position or a place. Well, I'm the worship pastor of The Rock. You should come. Well, you've never heard of Chris Tomlin. You should listen to him. These are great things, right? We've benefited a lot off of listening. But like I said before, Wonder has been stolen. When's the last time you showed up at church and said, Oh, I wonder what God's going to do today? Oh, the football game? No, don't worry about it. I have to go to church. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen today. When's the last time you woke up? And on your drive to work, you said, I wonder what God's going to do today. Because there is someone in your life that can't see over the crowd, that doesn't feel like they have any position, that can't, that's been cast out by the people they love. Maybe it's a kid of yours. Maybe your kid has walked away from God. Maybe one of your family members, one of your co-workers has walked away from God. And they've climbed up a tree because they can't see anything. If I can run fast enough and if I can climb this tree high enough, maybe someone will notice me.
Not invite me to church, but just notice that I'm a human being. I'm here. You know that person. Maybe you are that person. There's a lot of those people in church. Weird. Local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And it was never about a building. It was never about a pastor. It was never about a worship leader. That was never about a specific song. That was about you. And there are days when the enemy tries to tempt me into this guilt, and I think about that kid's word that says, I know your tricks. And I get devastated. And I say, well, I got nothing left, man. And I open up my scriptures. And it says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That was never about a church. That was about you. You standing on the hill. You cannot be hidden. Let people see your good deeds that they may praise your Father in heaven. And you know what the wonderful thing about that is? Is you don't need Mike to talk to you every day. You don't need JR to talk to you every day. You don't need Jen to lead you in worship every day. That was something placed there by the Holy Spirit that no man can take away. Not even them. Not even me. We have to change our strategy. And if there's dividing lines in our life, if there's dividing lines in our way, the most Jesus-like thing that you can do is erase them now. Those are some of the most demonic things happening in the church today is dividing lines. God was never a fan of dividing lines. He was never a fan of walls. He actually tore them down historically. So where are the walls? Where are the dividing lines that you've built? In today's day and age, it may be something as simple as the Republicans or the Democrats. They're the devil. They're the ones that are responsible for this. 
Those people spending so much money on Macs, they could just buy a PC. They're the devil. It's silly, but we do it, don't we? If we just got rid of this group of people, things would be better. If we just got rid of the gays, things would be better. Erase the dividing line and go to people. Jesus' heart was, is, and always will be for people. If there is something keeping you from seeing people as God sees them, it is demonic. Erase it now. Father God, I just pray that we, your church, would be people that know what is on your heart. God, that it's not our job to label bad what you have called good. God, that even now that you look at us and you see the righteousness of Christ Jesus and all of our sin, all of our shame, and also them, whoever they are. You look at them and you see the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Jesus, would you open up the eyes of your church to see the righteousness of Christ Jesus in the people that you have called good, which is everyone. 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 There is no place too dark for your grace to cross. Father God, that we would be the hands and feet that would gladly run over the dividing line and reach over the dividing line to the places that no one else would go. That we would love as radically as you loved and that people would come to know you. The people would come into an encounter with abundant love. Not with abundant rules. Not with abundant organizations. But with abundant people with an abundant God. That is your heart, and it has always been your heart. We love you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.